Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Uh, well, hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. Now, okay, we're missing somebody out of the gate here, so he might be coming in in the middle here. Derek's not here yet. So, I'm Jason. I'm Kate. I am Sean. Say that again. I am Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, this is your first time on the podcast. Yes, it is. So how, okay, so Sean just came on staff a month. month ago, a month and a half now. month and a half ago as our worship director from Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Uh, where in Georgia are you from? I am, so I was born and raised in South Georgia, um, and I went to school and lived in North Georgia for about five and a half years. Okay. How you like it? I mean, it's clear like Iowa, definitely not Georgia. Yeah. I, I like it. It's a different pace of life here, and because uh, it was nothing but nonstop, constant business, and yeah. me going to different gigs, you know, and, and making making money, but it was just, it was just, I needed a a new pace. So yeah. this is real nice. To and, and you just got married? Yes, about... September 11th. Two, yes. It's yeah. not weird that I know that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> creeper. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well, you just got married... Um, May 22nd. Is this seven I almost months? forgot. <laughs> almost seven Sorry, months. John Hubble. Yeah. yeah, it's getting there. I don't know. It was wow. a while ago. It was May. Lisa and I are coming on 20, 20 years. Wow. Shall 20 years in January. She, she put up with you for 20 years? Yeah, well, I pay her well. Oh, hello. Hi, hey, Pastor Derek. Derek. Everybody say hi, Derek. Reverend Derek. <laughs> the now. Reverend, your honorable Reverend Derek. Derek Eugene. Eugene Crawford. Because, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that your, your middle name was Eugene until your ordination. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did, why didn't you know that? So, Derek, how long have you been on staff now? I started December of 2015. So, uh, almost seven years. Yep. Six years. But then I, I have started volunteering as a youth program in 2012. So, like July of 2012. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And, Kate, how long have you been on staff now? I don't know how long I've been on staff. That was like March of 18, I think, or 19. I can't remember. But I was, I've been a Christian since August 2016. <laughs> I've been at Zion since 2016, but I've been on staff, I think, since 2019. You, don't, you can't see this, but I'm giving her a knuckle bump Thank right you. now. Uh, I've been on now, so we came June 1st, 2017. Yeah. So I'm coming up four and a half years right now. Wow. Which is crazy. Well, so we're in this, we're in our passport series. And uh, last week, Megan, can I just say what a great job Megan did on Sunday? Uh, she we she got out the stuffed animals. I okay. I agree. I think your stuffed animals not tearing apart was better than my idea. <laughs> but I still I still would have done it. <laughs> I really like that how she did it. It was really well done, and it was um, it did its job of being an object lesson. It stuck in my mind yeah. how she had someone come up with her, the whole yeah. pinky thing, the yeah. walking through it as she was talking. That's how an object lesson, that's the point of it. And I thought yeah. she did it really well. You know what I loved is when uh, when she said she brought out the pigeon and it was a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> she was funny. She was, I love it. I love seeing Megan so funny from the pulpit. It is. It was really well done. Well, and a lot of people may not realize, Megan is actually... She's she's very funny to begin she's with. She's a goofball. She is. Well, I think we have a lot of goofballs. On. You're a football. But I like that it took it real too, and was like uh, the robes were dripped in the blood. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was good. 
Yeah, I, I told her after the sermon, I'm like, wow, you were very charismatic. And not like the the religion, but like the person. Like yes. you were very charismatic up there. Like that was awesome. She wasn't speaking in tongues. Engaging. She's, yeah, she's also very poetic. Her like yeah. she's like, I write poems and stuff. And so like to hear someone do that from the pulpit is really different. It's yeah. well spoken. And soft yeah. it was softly said, gentle. There's yeah. a gentleness like to it without point. it being yeah. yeah. Also as someone who's very poetic, <laughs> I understand. It's exactly what you think of you, Derek. If what goes through our mind is man, Derek is I would love to hear Derek's poetry. Roses are red. Can we do like a spoken word night? One time in like I don't know if it's junior high, and I'm like, this is dumb. Like, <laughs> you remember Your having to write haikus? I remember having to write haikus, and you had what was it? A certain number of syllables, and yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I, I like the limericks where it's uh, those are well, really all funny. the limericks I know I'm not allowed to say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they're all Pastor Jason. They're all all the limericks I know aren't good. It's Bless like all the words I learned in Spanish when I was in high school. Bless little heart. Bless. Uh, so we're, we're, uh, Megan did an amazing job, but I loved what she talked about was getting into this, that we have a God of promises and, and, uh, specifically that in the old Testament, well, actually in the old and new Testament covenants were different than just a contract. Like there was a sacredness to a covenant and a lot of covenants had to do with blood uh, because blood represents life. And the idea was, is if you break this covenant, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you life, your life or something. And as we talk about this whole idea of a God of promises, this week we actually were getting into the last part of Galatians chapter 3. And it it deals with this whole idea of that God has created a church, um, that the church is supposed to not look like the world. The church is supposed to be a glimpse of heaven. And Paul goes into this whole idea of, uh, and this is verse uh, 26 through 29, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. And here's the thing that for me, uh, when I became a Christian, we didn't spend a whole lot of time in the Old Testament. And and really, like the Old Testament was kind of an afterthought. And we yeah, we talked about creation. We read a lot of Psalms because Psalms are cool. Uh, but Paul's entire theology in Galatians is rooted in the story of Abraham. Yeah. And and unless we understand what God was doing in Abraham, we don't really understand what Paul's gospel is because Paul, according to his gospel, how he understood the gospel is not rooted in Moses, but it's rooted in God's promise to this random guy named, that was weird. I'm getting a call from Italy. This random guy's name, that was weird. Yeah, no, I literally, <laughs> I thought I had my phone on side. I'm getting a call from Italy. Answer it online. I'm not. I'm not answering a call from Italy. <laughs> Put it on speaker. I might go, go there one day. So. That's awesome. Uh, and and so if we understand Abraham, God makes several promises, covenants with Abraham, and some of these. That's what that's what Megan dealt with last week. Let me ask you guys. Uh, now again, Kate, new in faith. Sean, newish in faith. Uh, sort of. I've been. I've been. I've been doing ministry since I was 15. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I'm only 23. So yeah, it's still pretty new. Newish. New I mean, I, I still, years? yeah, I still make Same people mad because of what things I say. So yeah, I'm still learning. So, <laughs> I'm Derek, still you learning. came out of the womb singing Hallelujah. Yeah. So you're 33. You're 30. <laughs> Jesus year. Jesus death year. You, you, you might already outlive Jesus. Way to go, buddy. Um, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that we forget or that we don't always understand is what a big deal it was that God shows up to this guy Abraham or Abram at this point. And until we understand that Abram wasn't Jewish, 
There was no law. There was nothing that set Abraham apart. God did it because God is God, not because of anything Abraham did. It's because God is, he chose Abraham for his purposes. Um, when you look at the Old Testament, and, and this is more perspective, share what you want to on this, but when you read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, do you struggle at times? Like, Because there are references that Paul makes that are connected to things. How did you grow up? Did you grow up learning about the Old Testament, Derek? I mean, you were raised in the church. Was that, for me, again, we didn't talk about it a whole lot. And so I kind of saw the, the Old Testament as an afterthought or a pre-thought that we forgot. Yeah, we definitely talked about the Old Testament. The problem was it was like your your core Bible stories, like the ones found David basically in Genesis, and then maybe some on King David, but not much beyond that, unless you were just adding a psalm in uh, to your readings yeah. on a Sunday morning. And so, uh, but not to the level that of how much interwoven Scripture actually is and how much it plays off of and how... Almost everything Jesus says is pulled from some sort of Old Testament uh, idea. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I'd say not as much, but it wasn't like it was, they didn't ignore it. It was just more of, it was, they stuck to the easy stuff. Like yeah. Noah, uh, you know, uh, David and Goliath, you know, that type of stuff. The stories, you know, Father Abraham, you know, the stuff you... Yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah. So a little more watered down probably than at the full scale. VeggieTales stories. Yeah. I think I was really... I've never really... seen a Tale though, <laughs> ever. Wow. I can't wait to have a movie night with you. And... <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I think I was actually really blessed to find faith as an adult because I was offered a very holistic view of how to read the Bible and what the Old Testament... Um, how to how to experience the Old Testament through the lens of the gospel. Like we know the end of the story now. And so when you get to you get to read the Old Testament, I was I it was suggested to me to read the Gospels first. In fact, John first, yep. and then go back and read the Old Testament through the lens of what is ultimately the end of the story. And I try really hard in children's ministry when we do bring out the Old Testament that we always connect it back to the gospel. And that way you, st you try to get that overarching vision of what the entire Bible um, is trying to say. So that way it's not, I mean, we can dive really deep like we do in adult church, but kids church, it's more of what are the foundational things we need to know yeah. and how can we view this Old Testament with a really holistic view of all of it, the big vision, the big purpose, the big picture. Yeah. So I think I was blessed as an adult to find faith later. I didn't have snippets or watered down things in my childhood yeah. so well you Sean? well yeah because i didn't i didn't grow up in church even though growing up in the bible belt in the south and um i mean i was so deep in the south you sneeze i'm in florida and so like <laughs> like it was i got it was deep and so um when i became faith when i was like when i was like 14 15 um the thing was being in a in a baptist church only time, yeah, we heard of the Old Testament was like hellfire and brimstone, yeah. right? If you know when when God set the whole city on fire, because you know, because of all the other sins, yeah, yeah. So like that was the only time. But as I, but we, I didn't grow up with a youth pastor, and so like, um, well, I considered her a youth pastor. She was the older sister of one of my closest friends, and like, but it was only like six of us, and then she was like the oldest one, so she would come with a lot of scriptural stuff and. Once, because we dug in a lot of different pastors like Matt Chandler and David Platt and all these different pastors. So different. See, this is the difference age-wise. When I grew up, we didn't have 
cool pastors like that. <laughs> I love yeah. Matt Chandler. Yeah, yeah. So like we we grew up with Alice and those or like uh, different. We was research different pastors to go to go listen to, or we even take youth trips to go to their churches just to listen to them. And we were like young though, and so, so like you got exposed to the Old Testament pretty. Oh early yeah, on. yeah. So like I got exposed, and like I always saw it as just the lens of how this is how Jesus. This is the reason why mm-hmm. Jesus came. Yeah. And this is the lens of like this, like this is the cool thing of like yeah. you see the foreshadow of what Jesus is doing, because like a lot of times, like when like in like um in like David, you know, like when he's in the fire, like people like believe that it was Jesus and it wasn't just an angel. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and yeah, it, it, like he, like it was it was Jesus that came down and just like he was that image of that angel and stuff like that. And so like just those, and so, as I got older, I got into New Testament. Okay. Does yeah, that that's that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I know for me, like my youth pastor, we talked about the Old Testament and like he didn't avoid it. And he would say things like you have to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. But we really never actually explored it. Yeah. And I think part of it is, is that the Old Testament is more stories, mm-hmm. whereas the New Testament, apart from the Gospels, the New Testament is it seems like it's life application, though there's it's much deeper than that. And I think this is what's interesting for Galatians the first three chapters of Galatians, Paul is completely rooted in, in the story of Abraham in contrast to Moses. Mm-hmm. And there's 430 years between the two of them. Yeah. And and I think sometimes we forget that if we don't understand these stories, and, and here's the thing, the Gentile believers didn't grow up learning Bible stories. So this idea of Abraham was completely new. So Paul's not talking to the Gentiles as much as he is to the Jews, the yeah. Jewish believers. And, and what I love in this is that these promises, so God makes several different covenants, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, um, but part of the covenant that God makes with Abraham, and, and sometimes we forget they weren't separate covenants, they were extensions of the original covenant. Hmm. And so God, you know, he tells them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, uh, I'm going to make, make you great on the nations, you're going to have land, you're going to have offspring, you're going to be a blessing to the world. Abraham's old, Abraham can't have kids, and his wife Sarai, who eventually becomes Sarah, you know, she's old, doesn't think she's going to have kids. And then here's the part. And and again, we don't get into this on Sunday, but uh, Abraham tries to take things matters into his own hands. And instead of trusting God's promises and Sarai goes, well, here, take, take my servant, which interestingly for us, we can not really pay attention to essentially that was sex trafficking. Like, I mean, think about that for a second. She gives her maidservant, who doesn't say that she's willing to, Hagar. Hagar, nowhere does it say she wants to do this. She gives her this. Like, the Bible's messy. Yeah. And it's in this messiness that God does incredible work. And I think there's something for us in there is that God uses our mess. And it doesn't mean God approves of it. And when Hagar gets pregnant with Ishmael, who was technically his firstborn, Abraham's firstborn, God never told him to do that. That's what he did when he took his things into his own hands. Then God eventually gives him a kid and through Sarah, and that becomes Isaac. And we get the whole stories there. But one of the things that we talked about this last Sunday was an extension of God's promise where Abraham's like, hey, what about, what about this kid thing? And God says, hey, I'm going to make many nations from you. Yeah. Not only are you going to be a blessing, but nations and kings are going to come from you. And this gets us into what Paul is talking about uh, in this week's sermon which is that essentially the Jews thought the goal of Christianity, of God's kingdom, was to make everybody Jewish, because that's Moses. God worked through Moses and said, hey, listen, I will be your God. You'll be my people. Obey these commands. You're going to have land, right? But what Abraham, what God tells Abraham is you're going to be a blessing to all nations. 
to all people, which means we're going to have a multi-ethnic church. We're going to have Abraham, which this would have been unheard of. You identified with the people people group you were part of. You were you were either Egyptian or you were Hebrew or you were uh, Assyrian or uh, Mesopotamian, Akkadian, Sumerian. Sumerian, all these different things. And yet here God is saying in Abram, who is uh, Ur is in the land of Babylon, he would have been known as Abram the Babylonian. Yeah. And when God gives him a new name, he gives an extension of himself. God's proper name in Hebrew is Yahweh or Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. God gives him the Ha in the middle of Abraham, and he does this to Sarah as well. So now he has a new name. And here's the idea, is God is creating a new ethnicity, one that is filled with multi-ethnic people. We are now united in God. Abraham is going to be the people of a new type of nation that isn't about being black or white, though there are certainly black and white people. It's no longer about identifying as something. You are now part of God's kingdom. And that kingdom is multicolored, multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic, so many things that pull into this. All right, so here's what I want to talk about today. Uh, when Paul talks about this whole idea of the church looking different, and, and we really got into quite a bit on the multi-ethnic church, what's the, what's the struggle? What's the struggle of trying to be a church that really wants to be this vision of the gospel that recognizes that the church is not just supposed to all look the same, that we're, we are called to be different, and then that celebration of difference brings diversity. What do you think the challenge is? Why is it so hard, apart from human nature, why is it so hard to be a church that wants to be multi-ethnic, that wants to reach all different types of people? I think part of the struggle for me, like when I, the first thing I think of is I don't ever want to make anyone feel like they don't belong or that there's something wrong with them. And I think the fear can be once you start going after or like you don't want to laser focus in. So say yeah. we're, we're trying so hard to be this multi-ethnic, such a diverse church. Where, and then in order to do that, to become more diverse, we might have to focus some of our time, effort, and energy into getting more diverse people coming in. And by doing that, the fear is, what if you make other people feel like they're not enough? You know, like mm. that's, you, you see that a lot. Like anytime you focus on one person group, the other people groups get well, what about me? Don't all people matter, yeah. right? We hear that a lot. And I think that's that fear of it's like, yeah, but when the one sheep leaves, what do you think the 99 is supposed to be doing, complaining that they're not important anymore? <laughs> right? No, yeah. you're holding down the fort. Yeah, you're going rest. after that one as well. Yeah. You're supporting the shepherd and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that's part of that fear is that I won't matter anymore. Well, yeah, yeah you, you don't. You, you've died to yourself now. You take up your cross and you bear it. Well, and, and, and you know, it's, I think that's a great, great point. I think this extends to, particularly in a church like Zion, where we have two campuses. We have the traditional building. We have the contemporary. And I think one of the things that happens is, and I actually know what happens, is sometimes our older people are like, well, what about, what about us? Don't we matter anymore? It seems like you're only going after this. And, and yeah. the hardest part as a shepherd is how do we care for both sides? Yes. And that's an age thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a primarily, not that we don't have young people who go to the traditional service, but sometimes that human nature in us is like, what about me? Yeah. And, and I felt that in other areas. What were you going to say, Derek? I, for me, it actually, it boils down even simpler than that. 
I think it's when I look at a church, it doesn't have to even be ours, but where it's like, yeah, we want to be everyone's welcome, yeah. but I'm not going to change. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, you're welcome to come to my church. Everyone's welcome. I don't <laughs> care if, if you're gay. I don't care if you're black. I don't care anything. You're welcome. But we're going to do it my way. Yeah. And you need to just join. And sure. I think that's I think that's our, our biggest issue is is understanding that if we want to be that then we need to be willing to change so that it, it is something that everyone can truly feel like they can be a part of yeah. and not just say, well, come be a part of what we're already doing yeah. and we're not going to do anything different. And that's why we know how much everybody loves change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't like, you can't make a, you can't make a football player go play soccer. Yeah. Like it's just, no, like, I've seen it. It's, it's literally impossible. Because, like, me... Well, I they can. Up, they're just not going to be good. Well, well like... <laughs> and, like, because especially if you got no... If you don't have the... For me, that's that's, that's my biggest point. Just, like... Because I've, I've been to many churches where I've seen some that were diverse and some that wasn't. And just, like, the biggest thing... And, and like, disclaimer, if you don't know, I'm black. So... <laughs> This next statement. I never would have. So this next statement is gonna make a whole lot more sense. So I. So for example, what what Derek's talking about. Um, I remember when I was around. I was like thirteen, and I grew up in South Georgia, but it's primarily Hispanic and white people, right? And so, um, I went to my aunt's black church, and they kicked me out of that church because I wasn't black enough. Right, because I'm wearing skinny jeans, Vans, and a soccer jersey. So you look like a worship leader. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bro, even, before, even before I even knew I was a worship leader. Yeah. Right, and so um, because they don't want, because also it can be like the aspect of you look different, even if any of your own people group. Yeah. yeah. You just look different, right? And you you look like I, I like I've seen I've seen some of my I've seen some like even white guys get like get excommunicated from their like their churches just because of like they just might say something that's different. Yeah. And well, they just and it, look different. And this isn't a primarily and I think this is what we have to clarify. This isn't just a white church issue. Yeah. Yeah. This is a human issue. Yeah. And so when I was at my my last church, one of my leaders who I, I love this guy, he asked me, and maybe I talked about this when he asked me if I was gonna um if I was gonna be more intentional about reaching out to the Hispanic community. Because mm-hmm. he, you know, we really need to reach out to Hispanics. And I was like, then you probably hired the wrong pastor. It's like, what, do you have a problem with Hispanics? I said, no, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> like, and, and, but here's the thing. For him, it was more of, and we talked to quite a bit about this, it was that sense of white guilt. We're, we're white church. We need to be more multi-ethnic, so we need to do this. And here's the deal. I 100% believe in a multi-ethnic church, but not because I feel guilty that I'm a white guy. I do it because I believe it's part of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is beautiful. The heart is different. The heart is different. I'm not doing it out of some sense of I need to repay something or we need to be politically correct. I don't care about PC-ness. But here it goes back to your point, Sean, and I think this is important for us to realize. And this is actually the statement that I said to him. I have friends who are pastors at primarily black churches, and they're not sitting down and going, how do we get more white people in our church? Yeah. And I have friends that are Hispanic pastors, and the Hispanic church is like, how do we get more white people in our church? And when, uh, during Gray, I talked quite a bit about Dr. Gray's um, book in the sermon. Phenomenal book called How, uh, uh, Building the Multi-Ethnic Church. Saw him at the conference we went to in Dallas. And a, a lot of the things he said were already ringing true. I've been passionate about multi-ethnic churches for many years. Um, but reading his book opened my eyes to even more of an issue. And one of the things he says is, 
is that the truth is, is that this is a problem in most churches. In fact, when he would talk to his, his other black pastors, they were like, well, no, we don't need to do that. It's just easier to have a black church. We, they, we like our music. Yeah. And he has a church called Transformation Church, and I think it's in South Carolina, South yeah, or North, it's, North, it's in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Um, and he said they intentionally, they don't have a style of music. They intentionally have a multi-ethnic style of music that you can't pin it down because they're intentionally trying to be a multi-ethnic church. Now, here's the thing. We live in Clear Lake, Iowa. <laughs> we, now, we have people of color in our community. We have Hispanic. We have Black. We have Asian. We have uh, uh, um, uh, Pacific Island. I mean, we've, we've got multicolor, but it's not as wide as diverse as it would be in Georgia yeah. or even Minneapolis or Des Moines. And I think this is part of why this might feel like it doesn't really apply to us here because we're like, well, we don't have a large population. It doesn't matter. And I think this is what I got challenged by Dr. Gray's book is that if we have the heart of the gospel, and Sunday I walked through all these different Bible verses, Paul, in almost every major letter he wrote, he talked about the importance of a unified church that isn't about a brand strategy for looking for uh, Clear Lake Charlie, yeah, uh, who is white, suburban, middle class, uh, has two children between 30 and 40 years old, owns a house and has three cars. Like that is so not the gospel. Yeah. Paul repeatedly talks about this idea of that. No, the church is supposed to embody and be a place that wants to look like heaven, which means multicultural. We were talking about that in a sermon read through when we were saying like, oh, that feels like brand, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, we're trying to be this brand. Who's your target audience? Who are you fishing for? And it's this idea of like, we're fishers of men but what kind of fish are you going for? And I couldn't help but have this visual of like, you know, we're fishing for these big fish, these big Clear Lake Charlies, you want to call them. Yeah. And it's like, ultimately, <clears throat> when you have this big net and you're trying to get this big fish, imagine all the fish that fall through, that you're not catching all the fish. Yeah. You can still catch Clear Lake Charlie even with a better net. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if we are more intentional about being <clears throat> a more inclusive church, you're still getting Clear Lake Charlie. Yeah. You're not excluding him or her, whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's this brand idea of like when you get too focused on the <clears> brand <throat> of it, you're ultimately, people are going to fall through the cracks. And, and yeah, yeah, what are you saying? I was just going to say the, the flip side of it is also dangerous though, mm-hmm. because if you don't have a plan, like yeah. I don't want to say brand, but if you are, marketing strategy, if you yeah. don't have yeah. a strategy, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You're not either one of two things. Either you're going to try to get everybody and it's going to fail because you've now overextended and yeah. you have no real plan. No real vision. Or you're not going to think about it at all and you're just going to cater to what you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's the... It so, can be very so unintentional. A, it's hard. Is a fear, yeah. Uh, or there is a, a, a problem on the other side of it too. So. And, and I think that's the dilemma in all of this. And this is why uh, Derwin's book, Dr. Gray's book, was so helpful for me is he doesn't ignore that. He's like, first of all, it's hard. It is hard to be a multi-ethnic church for that very reason. Yeah. Either you're going to get nobody because you're not doing anything well. And, and part of what, you know, the challenge that we're going to be stepping into, and, and I, I'm, I take this call very seriously. Here's the thing. We are in an audience. We are in a specific place. We need to be contextual. We need to understand. Yeah. But how do we create a church that no matter who walks through the doors, they feel like they can belong. And the danger, and this is where I agree with you, Kate, the danger with brand, and, and we need brand. 
There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Uh, Christianity had a brand. That brand was love. Yeah. Like that was Jesus's brand. Love, love God, love your neighbors, love yourself. That was Jesus's brand. But the other flip side is this, is if I'm, we say things like this, well, let's say I'm only fishing for walleye, but if I catch a bass, that's cool. But does that feel loving? If, if when somebody comes in and they're going, I don't belong here. Like, okay, that's great. I like your worship. I like your music, but you obviously don't care if I'm here. You're, I just happen to be one more butt in the pew. Right. And so how do we become that? And that's, that's honestly, in my opinion, the hardest part in this, the, uh, and we didn't get into this on Sunday because I want to be careful not to get into the political debates. Um, but this last year and a half, two years, has probably been the most polarized in my life as an adult. The only time that I remember it being as close as this was living in San Diego during the riots in uh, L.A., the L.A. riots. Mm. And I remember seeing that because we watched guys like we saw Rodney King get beaten mm-hmm. by the police and then the not guilty verdict of all the cops. and. I remember there was a fear that the rioting that was taking place in L.A. was starting to make its way down to San Diego. That was the last time I remember having really serious conversations around racial issues. Right. And the way I, I almost brought it up under the, when you asked about what, it, what is the, one of the major challenges that we're going to have to face. Um, I believe, I'm going to say it in the best way possible, <laughs> but I, I, I believe that uh, in order for us to truly move to a place where we can become a multicultural church, we're going to have to be aware that we like to hide behind our politics. Yeah. We like to hide yeah. behind our causes. We like to, oh, I'm not racist. But then when you look at your actions, like, man, you need to reevaluate that. Oh, well, I'm just being this political party. Or, oh, I'm just, yeah. this is my cause. Yeah. Or this is, you know, what, you know. And I think we try to hide behind those things. We try to distract or deflect yeah. uh, in order so that we don't have to truly engage with what's going on yeah. and i and i don't think we i don't even think we necessarily do it to be evil i don't think no. we do it no. to be bad i think it's just a natural way that humanity responds to uncomfortableness and it's not just white people it's all people i think i totally agree i think that it's easier to stand behind somebody else's views than to really be introspective and reflect on what i think what how do i really feel about this and and what are my actions then to step out or into yeah, and it's, it's so crazy because, like, me me grew up in Georgia where, like, it was just, like, it's mostly a red state until this past year, right? And so, like, um, even, like, hearing, hearing y'all talk about that and, like, seeing where, like, things can go. Because even to the aspect of if you don't agree with somebody else's party or just anything, any viewpoint, Right, even like the simplest things, just like what does the verse Jesus wept mean, yeah. can just tear up people yeah. so harshly. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, why can't I like let me take my time and figure yeah. it out? So the people that, even the people that are like, let me take my time, let me do my research, right? And just, and then because I had to go to my college, they was like, they asked me what political party I was, and I was like, it's like I don't, I don't know, I don't care, and like. And like I had, and like I had to do research just to for me to, on my at my college ap- application. Yeah. I'm just like this is a Christian school. I just want to be a worship leader. You well, know? and I think I think what you're getting to is that, and this is part of our culture right now. Our culture doesn't allow for a differing in opinions. You have to agree with me, or I cancel you, or you're out. They expect that hard line from you as well. Yeah. I have a hard line. You need a hard line. Which is yeah. ironic, is that for years that's what the church was accused of, and now that's what our culture Churches has become. Doing, yeah. 
And, and I think here's the thing. Um, Paul tells us in Corinthians that we have this ministry of reconciliation. And in order to reconcile well, reconciliation only happens when one or both parties are willing to listen to each other. And, and I think that's what's hard in our current cultural climate right now. Um, you know, the stuff that happened with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, we live in a primarily Republican state, and I get that. And, and we have a lot of people that for immediately had opinions on things. And instead of forming opinions, I think what Jesus calls us to is to, to listen, yeah. to understand. And that doesn't mean you have to agree. And I, and I think that's part of, the, part of the thing that keeps us from be embodying this church that God has called us to be is that we immediately draw battle lines. Yeah. And you know what Paul's battle line was? Paul's battle line was a united church that was filled with all kinds of different people. And Paul, at one point, he says, listen, to a Jew, I'm a Jew. To a Greek, I'm a Greek, which means he had to know his audience. I think what's also hard, not to, but when we're talking about like these hard lines, and I think social media does a horrible job of like perpetuating this. Are you this. telling me social media is not the uh, best way to there communicate? Are, there are people that are louder than others. Yeah. And you have really loud left, really loud right. And, and then there's a lot of, a lot of people, I would probably argue a majority of people that are terrified to to say anything. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be the next one that's accused of being racist or canceled or uh, sexist. I don't want to, I can't say anything. So I'm just not going to say anything at all. Yeah. And I'm going to stand behind whatever this other view is because that's a lot easier than getting let them canceled. Take the hit. Yeah. Let them take the hit because I, I can't say anything at all. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to fight this fight. And I think this is what makes it difficult for us as the church is on the flip side, when the church does take a stand, we tend to take a stand for things that honestly don't embody the values of Jesus. Um, I, I'm, I was listening to this podcast, so I, I highly encourage, if you want to listen to some great podcasts, uh, one's Theology in the Raw with Preston Sprinkle, the other is Voxology with uh, Mike Erie. And uh, Preston Sprinkle had Tim Gombis on, who's a theologian, probably leans more liberal, uh, and not extreme liberal, but um, they were talking about how the evangelical church, which we are technically an evangelical church, how the evangelical church moved away from the heart of the gospel because we became more obsessed with power, with control, trying to control culture, trying to dictate. So we put people in political offices thinking that if we do that, then the world's going to look like we want it to. And yet Jesus has this entirely different model of how the kingdom is supposed to work where we get we uh, literally submit our power to the Lord. Um, we no longer seek influence so that we have position, but that Jesus has position, and then we put it under this banner of the flag of the cross. Mm-hmm. And and Gombus was talking about, and this I'll be honest, this was hard for me to hear more because it just kind of made me a little mad. And I talked about this on Sunday. Is he shared the story? There's a, a book that he references uh, in the 19. 19- Evangelicalism is a new thing historically. Evangelicalism, as we know it, didn't exist 200 years ago. It, it's really come about in probably the last 150 years. And it was a response to culture. And Gombas talks about in the early 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, um, evangelical leaders who were pastors and theologians came together and they were trying to figure out how do they influence culture? How do they form this movement that can shape America? And as they were getting together, some black pastors from black denominations, which is a whole different conversation where we have black denominations and white denominations, asked to be a part of it. And their immediate response was, no, go do your own thing. Yet, not shortly after that, the KKK 
wanted to be a part of it, and they spent years debating whether or not the KKK could be a part of evangelical, the evangelical movement. Now, I don't know about you, but does, that's appalling. Yeah. The fact that there was no debate of, hey, should, should we allow black pastors to be a part of this movement? It was just a solid no, because you're black, we're white. But the KKK, which preaches hatred and racism and everything that is anti-Christ, they actually had to have conversation about it. <laughs> And, and while, praise God, they ultimately said, no, they shouldn't, we shouldn't do that, why did there need to be a debate? Yeah. And, and while that's, I don't think that's as nearly as much as an issue today. So let's, let's realize this was almost 100 years ago. But that doesn't mean that these issues still don't exist in the church. And that's part of what really challenged me with this message and, yeah. and working through Galatians and more of Paul's writing. And quite frankly, Dr. Gray's book really challenged me to go, wow, okay, so if we're going to be the gospel, going back to your point, Derek, it is hard. It that's, is. It that's is. something you said in the sermon read-through, too, when you were saying, like, uh, systemic racism. When, that doesn't always mean what we, this institutionalized racism, where we think that that's not a real thing, or maybe we're not getting it. But when you gave that example, it was like, I could see that. I could see how immediately this was ingrained in how they yeah. set up this movement it was immediately set up and around no conversation about the black pastors but let's debate these white guys that are in the kkk and then that's so and there are other stories like that i mean in the methodist movement um you had the the ama american methodist or african methodist movement african american i don't remember what the exact title was but in the 1800s you had uh, black people were allowed to be in church but they had to sit in the balcony they were allowed to be there, but they had to sit in the balcony. And eventually when they wanted to do, uh, they had to form their own denomination so that they could have a voice in the Methodist church in the 1800s. Now, that's that's weird. That's crazy to think about. And it created this rift between in the Methodist movement. And I think we're still seeing these issues that come in. And, and so I think now what God has been doing, and I think there's a cultural awakening, and sadly the church is just now catching up. I think we're finally starting to have questions and conversations of, Okay, yeah, it's way easier to create a homogenous church where everybody looks the same, dresses the same, is essentially the same ethnicity. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of intentionality to be a church that is, to Derek's point, that, yeah, we do have a target. We're not ignoring the fact that where we live, but how do we create that? How do we not use it as an excuse or just say, well, everybody's welcome, and every once in a while we'll catch somebody who doesn't look the same. It's hard, and I don't have a, I don't have an easy answer for it, and that's why I think it's going to be a journey. Um, we've moved into uh, he he moves them past just the racial issue, and Paul dives it even deeper. He then goes into neither slave nor free, neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, in the ancient world, slavery it's estimated around thirty percent of the population was in slavery at any one time in the Roman Empire, and I remember when I was younger what was said was this. Well, slavery back then was different. Uh, it wasn't like slavery that existed in the 17 and 1800s. Uh, it was more like you're hired like a worker. You're just a worker. You have to have a job. Nope. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. The reality was is that people were enslaved. You couldn't leave slavery. You could eventually work yourself out of slavery for some people, but it existed. And here, Paul says, listen, in the kingdom of God, there's no slave or free. You are exactly the same. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we don't. We have different kinds of slavery today. 
Uh, it's not necessarily the same type of slavery that we often think about, but we do have social classes. We have ways in which the church says these are people who are free, these are people who are enslaved. Um, what are some of the ones? Some, what are some of the social classes that come to mind for you when you think about the different classes that we've put in in church? And I'll just say, to give an example, I think divorce is one of those. I think in some churches, if you're divorced or a single mom, mm-hmm. uh, you're in a different class. And sometimes you're treated as projects, not as people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, or you're seen as somebody, well, well, they really need Jesus, unlike yeah. that married couple who's miserable. We yeah. Fix that. <laughs> yeah. So what are, what are some other classes that come up to you that sometimes we have in the church today? Yeah, I think of, you know, lower class, poor class, poverty line, uh, even like the service industry of like, you know, you don't have you don't have that middle class or upper middle class job. I think of single moms. I think of addicts. I think of, um, you know, homosexual or same sex attraction. LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Like, I think of all of those things that separate you from belonging. Yeah. Yeah. Adult versus children. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Holy Spirit Junior, right, Kate? No, absolutely not. <laughs> well, growing up in growing up in in we were lower income. We lived in apartments, mm-hmm. and all of my friends lived in houses at the church that I got yeah. saved at. And that's a weird thing, but that was. It's there was, not. There I was remember a class. looking for a house when Gabe and I, when I was a single mom with my son, and I, there was a lot of apartments open, and I wouldn't do it because I knew that most of his friends don't live in apartments. Yeah. You know that it comes with a certain kind of. Social status. Yeah. And there's there's a perception to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, and this might be because, like, uh, this is where I, I lived in the most, in my in ministry of just, like, of young people. And just from, from the ages, you know, from 12 and, and, like, that 25, if you're young and, you and like, you're just, you're just young and dumb and naive. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, if I'm young, dumb, naive, you're not that far off because, like... <laughs> Because like, because we don't, because like, as we get older, we just, we just get, we just gain maturity from experiences. Yeah. If you don't have, if you don't, and like, don't, and like, I, I have, I, cause like, I can, and I can say this, and he, he gave me permission to say this, but like, I have a friend in Georgia, he has no life experience, none. He's, he's, he's my age. He's about to go into a full time job, and he is freaked out to death, because, and because, because like, because older people. Want to look at young people down, and we and we have to like work our way up, yeah. Or we have to prove ourselves worthy, and just like, it's just like I don't. It's just like I don't. Like, how am I supposed to learn if I don't? What I so don't that's know. a different social class, yeah. Yeah. I think even in churches, and and we don't see it as much anymore, but it used to be, if you weren't Lutheran, you weren't good. Like, like if you were Lutheran, you had to marry another Lutheran, and if you're Catholic, you have to marry Catholic. Uh, even education at one point, I remember looking down, like there was this whole thing of, if you don't have a degree, these social classes, they matter. But in Jesus, the church isn't supposed to look like that. He then goes on to the issue of women, male and female. Now, again, this is a huge thing that we might miss because of how PC our culture is or how advanced or civilized we are. But in the ancient world, the only people who had status, the only people who could do things were men. Typically, if you were Roman, it was Roman citizen. If you were Jewish, it was a Jewish citizen. Um, You had to be free. And you were the ones who had all the power structures. Everything was centered around that. And here Paul literally says, there's no power structure anymore. It's no longer just about being being Roman or Greek or Jewish. It's no longer about slave or free. 
He then goes on even men and women. Women in the in the New Testament around the time of Christ, women had very little education, but also weren't even trusted as a resource. And what that meant was is that in a court of law, a woman's word was not valid. And yet, what do we see? The very first testimony of Jesus, the first preacher of the gospel, is a woman. Like this was so counter countercultural, revolutionary thinking. First people Jesus appeals to or appears to is not Peter, James, and John. It's Mary and Martha. And and so Paul is echoing something that's been God's heart all along. And I'll just, in full transparency, there are two primary views when it comes to women in the church. You have what's called egalitarian, which is men and women are completely equal in all things and can do all the same roles. You have complementarianism, which says, they are equal in worth and value, but have different roles and responsibilities. And I, for many years, was a full complementarian, which meant, um, you know, women shouldn't teach from the stage. They shouldn't preach from the stage. Women can't be elders. Um, some really hyper-complementarian get into, like, women shouldn't have jobs. Women should look, only work at home and take care of the family uh, and be moms. And the husband should be the only one who works and provides. There are There is that view, and that still exists. The more that I study Paul, the more that I study Scripture, the more I would not say I'm full egalitarian. Um, I do believe men and women are equal. I believe women should be able to use their gifts in all areas. I still believe in male headship. I do believe that God wants men to be the leader of their household. Um, and just quite honestly, I think the only role that a woman cannot play in the church is as a lead pastor. It's the only position I hold. And it's primarily because I'm wrestling through Paul. But preaching, teaching, uh, being a pastor, leading men, I believe women are 100% have the capability to. Now, here's the thing. Theologically, biblically, there's differing opinions because the Bible's not as clear as we want it to be. Paul says some pretty hard statements. What do we do with this verse when Paul says there's neither male nor female? When in the kingdom of God, God doesn't see male or female. And what they'll argue is, well, that's talking about worth. And while that's true, I wonder if there's more to it than that. And so like here on staff, we obviously have women on staff. Um, we have women who preach on a Sunday. And th here at this church, I've never really had anybody raise an issue with it. I'm sure there might be some. Um, but I have been at church. I was at one church where we had a guy literally got up, walked out, and left when a woman took the stage to preach. And he quoted Paul from Timothy and says, I will never let a woman teach, preach to me because that's unbiblical and walked out. And Paul seems to be painting a picture in which the kingdom is supposed to look different different than the world, and that women have the ability to have full access. And we still, there's theological nuances. There are things in Scripture that are, are hard to read. Okay, so Kate, I'm going to ask you as a woman on staff, okay? Um, how, do you, how do you see this verse? What does that look like for you? And, and I mean, you're, you're a pretty outspoken person. <laughs> Sometimes. Pretty passionate. Um, how is that for you in our in a male-dominated culture? And, and let's be honest, even in the church today, most leaders of the church are old white guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's let's. I'd love to hear your perspective as a woman who's new in faith, newish in faith now. How is that? How is that? How did that appeal to you, or did it? Did it? Did it make sense to you? Were there parts that were a struggle for you when you came into the church? Yeah, I think immediately growing up outside of the church, but not even just outside of the church, very opposed to the church. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the arguments that you have for being against the church, one of them as a woman was that I am somehow subservient to all man 
like any man, any man, I need to be less than and subservient to just because you are a man. Um, and to me, that seems very dangerous. And it, it was just very off-putting. Like, no, absolutely not. I know plenty of men that I'm much smarter than. Yeah. And I can, I, I mean, I just... I'm and not probably going, faster than it, my, yeah. I mean, I can run circles <laughs> around most people. I I I know my worth. I know my worth in Christ Jesus. And I think the deeper that you get into truly what Jesus and the message of the gospel and what Paul is saying here of that there is no no man or woman is that God doesn't see your gender. You're not going to be worried about that. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Your faith in Jesus Christ yeah. alone. Whether you are a man, a woman, slave, free, doesn't matter. And I think that the more that we can act that out here today as we live and breathe and work and share the gospel is more of God's kingdom come here on earth, right? The more that we can do our best to celebrate differences, absolutely, but never condemn or degrade someone because of their differences. Yeah. Just because I am a woman doesn't mean that I am not well-spoken, not educated, yeah. not um, able to give the ministry, not able to give the gospel and or a, be a leader in the church or be a leader that has nothing to do with it. Can you celebrate my difference as a woman? Does that mean yeah. that I can do things that a man can't do as a mother, like as a woman, as, <laughs> as, as, as a minister, <laughs> as a counselor? Can I do things that yeah. as a woman you might not be able to do? Absolutely. Can pastor Derek or Sean or pastor Jason do things that I can't do as a yeah. man? Absolutely. And those differences can be celebrated, just like we are talking about with the multi-ethnic church. Yeah. But I should never be degraded or condemned because of my difference as a yeah. woman. Or separate. And this is, so the picture that Paul is painting is really one of heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, he talks about that all these voices are singing together. And it's a, it's a multi-ethnic, many people, different colors, um, different uh, social statuses. Men, women are worshiping Jesus together in heaven. And I think here's the challenge that I would give us as a church, right? So we have our three primary, our mission, vision, and values, our belong, believe, become, right? We want the church to be the best glimpse of heaven we can be. It's not going to be perfect, and it never will It never will be. How can we be a glimpse of heaven if we have second-class citizens in the church? Amen. How can it truly be a glimpse of heaven if when someone walks in, and I'll use Kata as an example, you walk into the church and your sense is, is well, I know, I, I guess I'm welcome here, but I don't really have a place to belong. Yeah. Um, or I'm devalued. I'm not, I'm not really worth anything unless I fit this stereotype of what a people group thinks I should be. Same thing as a black man. Or even, just quite frankly, in our culture today, it is, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to celebrate diversity. Yeah. Because I don't sag my pants and, yeah. and talk slang or to have a southern accent. I can't. And those things are yeah. like the churches, we have to rise above that. And, and I think this isn't just unique to us. So here's the thing. This is a really difficult topic, and there's a lot to it. I'll tell you one of my hopes, and I'm going to end with this. We are going to do a series on building the multi-ethnic church, being the church that God wants us to be, because I believe it's worth a much, much deeper and greater talk. And it's going to take work, and it's going to take effort. But my hope for the church, for Zion, is that we all, and I think this goes back to Derek's point, how do we make sure that we don't just go for anything and therefore catch nothing? I think if we as a church are committed to this idea um, and we realize that our target audience is people, but understanding the culture we live in, understanding that we live in Clear Lake, Iowa, Cerro Gordo County, Northern Iowa, um, 
I think if we begin to all take that seriously and then take the role of community seriously, I think we can become that kind of church. And it's sometimes the music is going to sound different. Um, our small groups should reflect that. Our marriage ministry groups, our children's ministry, like we should be reflecting something different. Why is it that I feel like we're always trying to play catch up with the world when we should be leading the world? Yeah. And in fact, what a, we're always, the world seems to be far ahead of us because we're so busy, caught up, we're afraid of change. We want to keep things, we want to keep our power dynamics the same. I think Jesus is calling us into something bigger and something greater, something heavenly, a vision that goes much deeper. Hey, uh, I want to thank Dr. Gray. I got to speak with him just briefly at the conference in Dallas. Um, I doubt he'll ever hear this podcast, but I, I am so grateful for his book. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm actually hoping that we can get Dr. Gray out here to come and preach. Um, Sean, grateful to have you on his staff. Kate, love having you on staff. Derek, it's okay having you here. Um, <laughs> smell like me. You smell. <laughs> Here's the thing. We want our staff to be a reflection of what we want our community to be. And I believe God is doing some amazing things right now in our church. And I think a part of that is, is that we are being more intentional about our idea of belonging because we want people to believe in Jesus so they can become like Jesus. Uh, do me a favor. If you listen to this, I know a lot of people right now are listening to this on... Hopefully Bob Goff. And Bob Goff, yeah. A lot of people are listening to this podcast on the Zion app, which is great. But if you would do us a favor, uh, click on the link to the Apple iTunes show notes. Leave a rating. Now, if you don't like the show, be honest. You don't have to leave a four star. If you're going to leave a one star, that's fine. Um, but if you found this helpful or encouraging, share it, subscribe to it, like it, um, give it to friends. We appreciate everybody who's listened. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm Jason. I'm Kate. Sean. You have an awesome day and uh, enjoy your fresca. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown. I smell like pickle feet and Rick's on top of peanut butter.